On today's episode of the Network for Women in Business podcast, we're going to have a special interview with Lena Cohen Hawkins, author of Brilliant Resilience. So grab a pen and a paper and get ready to learn right now. All right, let's just jump right in. Today, we are interviewing live Miss Lena Cohen Hawkins. She is the author of the new book, Brilliant Resilience. I'm not going to even go into the subtitle, but I'm going to tell you guys that I absolutely love, love, love this book. I had the honor and the privilege of content editing the book and working with Lena, helping her to get the book as an Amazon best and we absolutely accomplished that. Yes, we did that. And I'm just excited. Lena, why don't you just introduce yourself to everyone? And what I would like you to do is tell us why you wanted to release this book and why right now? Well, first of all, thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate your help, your guidance, your wisdom, your mentorship. Um, I've loved you for years now. So it's been really incredible to actually have a chance to work with you. So thank you so much for having me. Um, So as you said before, my name is Lena Cohen. I'm an author, a speaker, a coach, and I do a lot of training on emotional intelligence. Um, But this book, oh my gosh, it's such a love affair because this book really saved my life during this time. I was saying yesterday, Tony, that, you know, there was so much depression and anxiety and just me grieving during this time that this book really gave me something to focus on. And it kept me, um, you know, having something to look forward to and a goal. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to put this book out now because um, looking at my group chat with my girlfriend, mm-hmm. to my family, everybody was going through something. Everybody was experiencing some sort of loss, whether it was family members dealing with COVID or sickness, um, loss of a career or a job or contracts if they were entrepreneurs, um, loss of hope in our justice system and in our government with everything that's going on. Yeah. So I felt like there was so much pain and so much hurt. And I was like, wow, you know, people are going to need healing when this is all over, you know? So this was a book that I wanted to put out for a while, but when COVID hit in March, I was like, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to get, um, to get this information out and to do it That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I have a lot of favorite parts of the book, right? But I want to jump into some stories that I know that a lot of people can relate to. And I mean, and it falls right in line with Black Lives Matter. So Lena, let's just go right in and talk about the things that happen to us in the workplace and why we need to have resilience in the workplace. Because, you know, many of us have experienced being passed over and working our asses off, and then, you know, only to see nepotism or cronyism come into play. But, you know, that incident that happened to you in the book, I'm not gonna spill it, I want you to talk about it, but 
tell us how you were able to overcome and channel a lot of the energy from that, because I think that you give really good tips as it relates to how to not let that type of thing kill you. Because um, I was watching this interview with this these employees from Corn Ferry, and one of the employees was so candid. She basically said that, you know, her father told her that, you know, white people will kill you. And she was really candid. And he said, I'm not talking about killing you like physically with a gun to your head. I'm talking about destroying your spirit. Yeah. And I know things have happened to me and clearly things have happened to you on the job. Just talk about that because I just love everything that you had to say as it relates to taking that disappointment and turning it around and how to be resilient when you're going through that process. Because when you're going through it, you want to kill somebody, you know? You know what I mean? It feels like where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Right. Um, so before I answer that, I want to just take a step back because I want the audience to have a clear definition of my perception of what brilliant resilience is. So we all know that resilience is being able to come back from a tragedy or a difficulty. But I use the term brilliance in two ways because it has two definitions. And the first is intellectually, right? So learn from the experience. How can you grow from the experience? What lessons are in this experience? And what am I taking from it so that when I get through this situation that I'm even better than I was before, right? Mm-hmm. And the second definition of brilliance is really to shine. So how can we go through challenges without losing our sense of positivity, gratitude, appreciation, and and love. So really moving through the challenges with grace. Um, mm-hmm. We have people who are in our lives that will be influenced. You know, our children are looking up to us, our family members, friends, co-workers, colleagues. So um, I just wanted to kind of give, um, so we're all on the same page. But uh, the particular incident that we're speaking of, Mm -hmm. I came out of an abusive relationship. I had moved from South Jersey to North Jersey. I dropped out of school, got back into school, faced all of these challenges. I graduated at the top of my class. I was homeless for a while. You know, and then I get this internship and then I fight through the internship. It was so competitive. Then I get like, you know, this dream opportunity to work for a broadcast network. I bust my butt, work my way from like the bottom of the bottom low position all the way to the newsroom. And I get an opportunity to get like a... um, it's kind of like a apprenticeship, I guess, where you get to sit in and do the job, but you don't get paid for it and you don't get the title. But most people only stay in that position for maybe um, a few months before the producers decide, hey, we're going to keep this person and promote them or we're going to you know, decide that they're not ready for the position. Honey, listen. <laughs> 
I was in that particular position probably three times as long as I was supposed to be. Wow. So they were getting everything out of me that they wanted to by putting on different projects, special projects, um, asking me to do other positions and doing all of these things. And I was excelling in them. Mm -hmm. And there came an opportunity when I was like, well, look, what, what are we doing here? You know, I want to be promoted and, you know, contracts come up every year. And I was like, okay, well, I'm ready to get it, you know, renew my contract and I want to move up. And they told me that I wasn't ready for the position that I was already doing and excelling at and being awarded and, (laughs) you know, doing at the top, at the top level. And when I saw who got promoted and how you know (laughs) who does she know (laughs) i was devastated but in the resilience in the book i talk about using your strength and getting back up again over and over again all of those trials that i went through previously when i was trying to get back in school and building myself up and fighting through the internship i had grown a strength and i had my my skin was tough Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, okay, well, they're not going to hire me. You know, I'm going to make a way for myself. And um, during that time, I also had a loss of a really good girlfriend of mine. She passed away and I was really inspired to um, just pour into other women. And I was like, you know what? I am going to let my day job be the investor for my dreams. And that's what I did. I was coming there, but I didn't really have the passion. So I was just doing the bare minimum. Right, (laughs) right. And I was preparing to um, move out and go out on my own and start my own business. And that's what I did. Okay, so see, I like that. You actually used your full-time job to help finance your side hustle. Yes. And, you know, I know a lot of people that get caught up in those types of situations, they tend to, Lena, you know, they get sad, they get depressed, they get deflated. They actually give people all of the reasons to say why they didn't promote them in the first place. You know, not even thinking about all of the things that they did to the person that caused the person not to be the one who was constantly raising their hand, was constantly giving more, was constantly playing, you know, paying that black tax and not getting rewarded for it. I mean, you do it enough and you get defeated. And what ends up happening is you die a slow death. And then they'll say things like, well, you don't take initiative or you don't do this when you literally cause the person to shut down. You know, you don't want to, you know, I find that companies don't want to accept their role in what they've done to the individual. But a lot of times, you know, they want to say, oh, well, this person is, they're not going the extra mile. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. But forget, they forget about the times when you did do all of those things and weren't being rewarded for it. So, I, I mean, I really love, 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 you know, um, just, you know, what you're doing. And, you know, I love the fact that, uh 
you say don't succumb to that and you you know you channeled all of the extra that you know hundred and ten percent that you were given or the two hundred percent that you were given and you shaved that and you just redirected that energy and that those were the tips that you gave you know like just don't sell yourself short don't go down that road and leona said did they tell you why you weren't ready for the job? Since I know that comment is BS, been there. That's what Lena says. And I have to tell you that a lot of us have been there. That people have to do is, number one, you really have to know your worth. And you mm -hmm. know, um, one of the things that I personally did, excuse me, when I realized what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I tracked my progress. So every story that I did that the Today Show or um, GMA or another segment really wanted, and I was able to to book it and produce it and get it done. Uh -huh. I you know, so when I got to the point where, um, thank you so much, featuring my hubby. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I got to the point where the excuse was that we don't feel like you're prepared for the position, mm -hmm. I'm able to look at my resume and say, well, I was prepared when I did this, 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 and this. I was prepared when the executive producer said that this was the best one of these series that has been done in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was able to track my own work, which I always tell people, especially when they feel like they're in a toxic environment, track your work and make sure that you're able to show it and show yourself. Like they couldn't tell me I wasn't prepared or I wasn't ready or I wasn't good enough. I knew that I was good enough. And what happens is like for an instant second, you'll have that doubt and say, well, maybe maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe this person was better, or maybe they know something that I don't know, or maybe they have some sort of training that I don't have. The young lady that got the position didn't even have a college degree. Oh, wow. I graduated top of my class. So you can't, you know, you also have to have your own self-esteem and your own self-worth and your own self-awareness so that you're not letting those comments penetrate you in a way that demeans your the way you view yourself like what you were saying that young lady said her dad said that they will kill your spirit they can only right. kill your spirit if you allow that like i was like no i'm not tolerating this let me get my things together let me get my ducks in a row and head on out <laughs> you were like deuces <laughs> I love it. And, you know, you did give a lot of the backstory um, as it relates to you even getting to that point. And there was actually a point in the book that I could totally relate to, and it really gave me pause. And that was the relationship that you had that was really toxic. And I mean, and all of us, all of us have gone through it, you know? And you knew that, it seemed like you knew before you even went there that this guy wasn't the right guy for you. But what I loved about the story was the fact that 
you were able to pull yourself out of it, even if it meant like leaving and, you know, being homeless or whatever and getting yourself back on track, back in school, you know, talk to us about that because there are so many women, Lena, and you know it, that are out there that are in relationships where people are dragging them down, where they're not happy. And, you know, they're afraid, they're afraid to break free but you were able to pull yourself up and, you know, just build that muscle of resiliency and make it happen. So talk to us about, you know, how, how, how did you do that? It was not easy. Um, you know, I entered that relationship. Like you said, I knew from the beginning he had a reputation of drinking and he had a reputation of physical abuse. But what I always say is, is when you're not happy, when you're not healthy, mm-hmm. you are in a place, um, when you're in a dark place, when you are depressed, you can't, you, you don't think clearly, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I entered the relationship in a way of like, oh, boy meets girl, you know, you date, you figure it out, and then, you know, enter the relationship together. It was kind of like we were both in a bad place and we were just around each other a lot and it just grew. It just morphed into a relationship. And, um, you know, I think we all as women are like, I would never let a man do this. I would never let a man do that. And then when you actually face with the situation, things often change. Um, And that was my situation. There was, you know, in the beginning, smaller things like a grab or, um, or, sh- or shove or something like that. But that lasted for a long time. And it was difficult for me to put things into perspective. Like, well, how do I prepare to leave? Because you have to be prepared to leave. And, and then the right. book talk about, like, I wasn't ready to fight for myself. Like you have to be ready to fight for you. And at that point I wasn't prepared, but when he started to get more aggressive, I was like, oh wait, this could be dangerous. Like I have to get out of here. And you know, one night it was just like one of those days where I was like, I'm ready to fight tonight, (laughs) you know? And it was just like, again, tapping into that place of, I know that I'm worth more and I know God has more for me. And that was kind of like the last situation, like knockdown, drag out. And I left and in the book, I talk about how, you know, the police were called and everything. And I left because I was nervous. Like, okay, well, if he leaves, he can always like come back after the cops leave. Right. The next day, I went back with, like, an escort to get my clothes and things. And everything in the apartment was gone. Like, wow. Everything. Furniture, the bedstead. I was like, what did he do? Get a U-Haul truck in the middle of the night? Like, everything. And the only thing that was left was, like, my clothes. And you know what? I felt like if this is the price that I have to pay for my sanity, for my peace, and to start over and to keep, you know, to have the strength to keep going then like that's the price that I'll pay 
So, you know, I don't, I think you have to be in a place where you're ready to fight for yourself, to fight for your future, to fight for um, who you strive to be. You know, we talk a little bit about that later on in the chapter and self-awareness is like, if we can always hold on to who, who we want to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I knew that that wasn't who I wanted to be, you know, as, as a woman. So, you know, it takes time, but you need the support and you need to be ready. You have to be ready to, to fight for your, for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you did it. You did it. And then you went back to school and you were the bag lady carrying your bags. <laughs> when I read that, I started thinking about Erica Badu, Badu, bag lady. And I could just see you running with all your bags, with all your books and all of that stuff, running for the train, because I know how it is to catch New Jersey Transit. If you are not on that schedule, you Ooh. might miss that train. <laughs> ain't nothing nice, especially when it's cold. <laughs> you have to have an end goal in mind and for me I tell people all the time you know you take these baby steps like just put one foot in front of the other put one foot in front of the other like I never when I was in the place of leaving that abusive relationship and I was sleeping on my best friend's couch my goal wasn't oh I want to be an international speaker and a three-time author and this and that my goal was like okay let me fill out the application so I can get back into school. You know, like that was step one. One. And sometimes when we look at goals, the goal just seems so big and so audacious that we get a little discouraged and we just have to mm-hmm. break it down into smaller goals. So when I started going to school, I, you know, had, was living mm-hmm. off of my savings account. So I was paying for school myself. I was paying for the apartment that I, um, when I moved and went to Kane, I was paying for that. And so that quickly like ran out. So now I was going from like house to house, friend's house to friend's house. So I would have to bring an overnight bag, like a little rolly. Right. Then I would have, matter of fact, this bag right here. <laughs> this is why I haven't thrown it away because it's a, like a memory. I had this bag for like my laptop, my books, and all that kind of stuff. So this bag and a just like a rolly bag, and then I would have like a pocketbook because you got to be able to get to your stuff quick for when you want to get on the train. Right. So I would be traveling, getting on like three trains and a bus to get back and forth from North Jersey to South Jersey, and carrying oh, wow. carrying that to class. And like, you know, if my girlfriend would be like, oh, you could stay at my house or whatever, then that was my life. I was the bag lady. But I had a goal in mind because Mm -hmm. now I have to graduate. And if I have to catch three trains and a bus, if I have to sleep at three different people's house during the week, if I have to like sleep on the couch or whatever, like that's what I have to do. That's resiliency. That's what I have to do. I was like, I'm not, there was no other option. Like I was at the bottom of the bottom of my life. And I had uh-huh. 
I was like, I refuse to ever be in this position again, like ever. So there was no way, there was no turning back. It wasn't like, oh, my car broke down, so I'm not gonna go to class, even though it's an hour and a half drive, or oh, you know, I don't have a place to stay anymore, so I'm not gonna go to class. There was no option. It was like, this is what I have to do to get to the next step, so I'm gonna do it, you know? So talk about your tribe because, you know, one of the things that you do is give credit for, you know, people that just showed up in your life to help you on this journey. So talk about your tribe and, you know, some of those guardian angels that just showed up and along the way, those special people, you know, talk about that. So chapter eight is I Am Not Alone. And mm-hmm. for a long time, I felt the struggle of what I think a lot of people struggle with when they try to change their life is, you know, your old life is competing with your new life. Your old choices are competing with your new choices. Everything that you're comfortable with, that you're used to, that makes you feel warm and fuzzy is competing with all of the things that are uncomfortable and new and, and and you may not be sure of. And you know, my transition was a lot of me focusing on, I left my family, I left my friends, I left, you know, this group of people to go, you know, fight for my dreams. And people really were, I don't want to say offended by it, but, you know, I come from a very small town. If, if, if everybody knows Camden, New Jersey is a very small place. It can be very limiting and people with very small mindsets. I know people that have never left the city of Camden. They may have gone to like the Cherry Hill Mall or to like <laughs> to go to Philly, but you have a lot of people that have a very small mindset. So when I left, some people were really devastated. Like, what are you doing? Where are you? Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And it was really difficult, especially with my family. You know, I had a full ride um, scholarship to Texas Southern, room, board, books, and two flights, two flights home a year. And my mom was like, I don't fly, it's too far. What if something happens to you? What if this, what if that? What da, 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 da. Like just the negative mindset of all the bad things that could happen. Right. Thinking about the potential. So when I moved, I struggled with connecting with my family and friends and really building new relationships and building a new family and building new friendships. Um, because I was just doing this tug of war, just trying to maintain um, both. And it was really, really hard. But um, that chapter is all about allowing people to help you. We are always wanting to be super women. We want to do it all. We want to say, yep. I don't, there's no glory in saying I did it all by myself. There's no, that's right. There's no <laughs> I don't, why do I want to do something all by myself? <laughs> but I don't know. And, I, and you know. <laughs> I want to do something all by myself. You know, oftentimes we're not getting the help because you're not even, you You know, there is a saying, you can't heal what you don't reveal, right? So yep. 
time, people don't even know that you need help and need resources and need access because you're not vocalizing it. And I was learning that the more vulnerable that I would allow myself to be with my new friends, my new family, my new coworkers and colleagues and people that were coming into my life, the easier things got. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can hook you up. Oh, you, you, when I got the internship, I had a contact that was like, oh yeah, um, this lady, she can give you a tour of the studio. Now you got it, you know, they say, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready, right? That's right. That's right. When I went on the tour of the studio, I had my resume. I was dressed. I was like, you know, I was ready. And that's how I, that's how I got the job. But it was, right. it was through me vocalizing, hey, I just graduated. I need help. Does anybody know somebody that might know somebody that might know somebody? Right. And then I just had a bunch of angels. Like, you know, the guy that was the transfer the uh, admissions person at Kane, uh, he mm-hmm. was close with a good mentor of mine, and he took my hand and walked me through the whole process and made sure that I graduated every step of the way. I had people that would feed me, you know, if I'm working in studios and, and you know, I've been in class all day, my friends would like buy me food and buy me lunch and make sure that I was good. I had friends of mine's parents who would allow me to stay at their house like I became family with them and you know it's sometimes we feel like we're alone and we think that we're alone but in reality we're not God is working through people each and every day to make sure that he's able to speak to you and use other people to help you but you have to be willing to receive the help yeah and that's true because you know one of the things I know is that sometimes it's hard for people to receive help. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have to humble yourself in order to be able to receive help because it's our ego that oftentimes present uh, you know prevent us from even asking for help. Yes. You know, and thinking that you know no one builds a multi-million dollar company by themselves so we have to always think about who we are presenting ourselves as and who we have to be in order to get to where we want to get now you received you received and experienced a lot of tests right a lot of tests (laughs) yes now, one of the quotes that I love about the book, uh, you know, that you say is, you know, some people out here experience taking the same test over and over again. You know, <laughs> you were like, y'all out here, y'all out here taking the same test over and over again, and not really learning the lesson. Y'all like this level. Y'all want to just stay on this level because every time you get to the end of the level, you get a test. And you just make the same choices and decisions you made before. That's why you're still on level three. Talk to them. Talk to them later. You know, so so what's the what's the message to those people, you know, that's out here taking the same test over and over again? What's the message to them? You have to use your brilliance. You have to use your intellect. You have, if you want to grow, and you want to be in a different place, you have to make different decisions. You have to make different choices 
you have to take different actions than the ones that you did before. So when you are, when God places experiences and tests in your life or you experience them or whatever, you know, you have to say, you know what, last time I did X, Y, and Z. As we talk about who do you want to be, right? How would that person operate in this situation? How would that person, what, what would they do in this particular instance? That's that's where the growth comes is when you can really look at a situation and say, you know what, let me slow down. Let me take a beat. Okay. I normally would say this, that, and the third. But you know what? <laughs> Today, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take a beat and say, you know what? Maybe I don't think this is the best time for us to discuss this. You know, um, you know, let's take a step back from it and we'll circle back and see how we feel tomorrow. You know, that's where the growth comes in. And then that's where change can happen. Change can't happen until you change. You know, often. Yeah, we want to ch- we want to point the finger a lot of times and say, maybe it, maybe it was this person. Maybe it was that person. Maybe it was, you know, your mom. Maybe it was your husband. It's your kids. And sometimes it's you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's you. You know, and you have to be willing to, you know, acknowledge when you're, when you're wrong. You have mm-hmm. to acknowledge. If, you know, you have to acknowledge it because you can't change something if you don't even think it needs to be changed. That's right. You know, so nowadays I only need one test. That's it. <laughs> nowadays, I only need one test and that's it. I don't need no more lessons. I'll be telling God, that's it. I, I, I learned my lesson. Got it. I got it. Good. Because that's what we also talk about is like, how can you want level 10 blessings and you still on level three? All right. Speak on it. You won't let certain things go in your life. God has told you over and over again that this person, like you can't get this blessing because this person shouldn't be in your life when you receive this blessing or this habit or this thing that you do or the way that you speak or how or this energy that you bring to a situation. Mm-hmm. That go in order to get to the next level and God will give you a couple of tests to see how well you're doing with changing and growing and and developing a new better version of yourself but if you keep coming with that same energy that same attitude those old habits not letting go of certain people places and things that are hindering your destiny you're gonna be right there on that same level in that same chapter over and over again taking that same test taking that same test that's, that's, yeah, that's real. That's real. And I mean, and people see it in their lives and they don't want to acknowledge it and they see it in their lives. And I'll tell you how it shows up because, you know, like we're saying this, but some people need to visualize how it shows up. So how about you go and you pay all your credit card bills off and then you run them up again. And then you're like, I don't know how exactly that's taking the same test over and over and over again. That's not learning the lesson. That's how you wake up and you've grown old and you still haven't gotten where you wanted to be because you haven't learned the lesson so that you can move from level three to level five to level 10, right? 
you know, and that taking that same test over and over again. And you talk a little bit about this, too, in the book with with your health and your eating habits and all of that stuff. It's like you learn how to eat properly and then you fall back and go back into the same routine. So, you know, it's like you took the test, but you didn't learn a lesson. So, you know, you lose the 10 pounds and you gain them back over again. Hello, somebody. I know we're talking to somebody out there. They get it, right? Yeah. Right? But it's scary for people. In the chapter on self-awareness, I talk about the importance of really looking in the mirror and, and saying to yourself, okay, am I happy with who I am? Am I happy with um, the characteristics that I have? Am I happy mm -hmm. with habits that I display? How do I operate when I get up in the morning? What is my morning routine? Um, when I'm at work, do I come in with the stank attitude? You know, right. But it, what habits about me? And when people start looking into the mirror sometimes and they're not happy with what they see, they may be overwhelmed and don't know how to change those things. But when you have a goal, you have to be honest about where your growth areas are so that you can change them. So the next time you you experience a challenge or a test, you can handle it in a different way. You know, my husband used to tell me all the time and just coming from so many broken relationships, bringing that brokenness into, into my relationship with him and bringing my single independent woman and, you know, bringing all that. Like, <laughs> Don't you can't bring that to me, right? Like that to me, and then I would do it, and then wonder why we're having this tug of war. And it wasn't until I learned to kind of find my role and find my my little happy place of letting letting him be the man that he wanted to be to me. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is so much closer. Why am I fighting this man? He wants. He wants to be this person to me, and I'm not letting him because I'm yes. so independent. You know, <laughs> it's like why? You know, right, right, exactly. So, sometimes we have to take a good look in the mirror. Yeah, that mirror work is hard. It really is, and I mean, and most of us run away from the mirror. Because I think that if we really took a good hard look, we probably wouldn't like some of the things that we see. And it probably would bring some of us to tears because we would have to face some of the realities of what we know that's going wrong that we refuse to do anything about. And I, I have to tell you, even you know, um, while I was content editing the book and reading it, you know, I had two hats on, but there were moments in reading the book where I paused, you know, and I said, oh, man, you know, like you really brought me to myself in certain oh, points wow. where I was just like, damn, you know what I mean? When you're facing the realities of the things that you know that you need to change that you have not addressed. And I was just like, yeah, she, she got me right here. <laughs> and there were a lot of points in the book with that. But we have another um, question. And this one is from Leona, too. And it's a good one because you actually talk a little bit about this in your book. She says, were you able to maintain some kind of relationship with your immediate 
family during those tough times. And, you know, she talks about other than your mom. So you talk about your mom extensively in the book. She said, and what's, what are your relationships like now that, you know, you've had the success? This isn't your first book. This isn't your first, you know, bestseller. This isn't your first go around. You know, you've done TED Talks and all of that stuff. So you've accomplished a lot in your life. So what is the relationship with your family members now? That's a good question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I have a great relationship with my family. Um, my relationship with my mother is still strained. Um, we've had a very tumultuous relationship over the years because we have had extremely different experiences in life. Mm -hmm. As a mother, you have certain dreams and aspirations for your children in ways that you want them to be but then they grow up and have their own experiences and um you know it makes it difficult for her to really accept me as my own woman that i have mm. thoughts, ideas and opinions and some of those are separate from hers so we butt heads a lot but you know it's also very much so about mindset. So I would like to think that um, over the last 10 years, I've been enlightened in a lot of ways. So mm -hmm. one of the biggest ways that we may differ is religion. My mom is extremely, extremely religious. I talk about that also in the book and just being raised in a castle and then later on being baptized in a Baptist church. And my perspective on religion is so much greater now. It's so much bigger than yeah. what day you go to church or how you pray. So we we have a lot of differences and it takes time for um for the, for that healing to happen. I mean, I mm -hmm. I'm I am healed and I've done the work on my end. I have not one but two therapists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one but I have two. So Ooh, I, that's all right. Well, you know, one, I like to say she's more of my spiritual godmother. She does a lot of Reiki. She she can kind of almost read. You don't even have to say anything. She can more or less read you. Um, and then I have one woman that more so focuses on the therapeutic approach, like from the mental side. So one mentally and one spiritually. But um, it's, it's an ongoing, um, you know, build. And as, of course, like many people's people think the more famous you get the more money you get the 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 bigger the better and you know that brings about a lot of differences in families a lot of times so for the most part um i have a great relationship with everybody but i'm uh, still working on the mom thing Yes. Well, the one relationship that is just amazing, and I mean, and I just, I love you guys together, you and Adrian, it's just a beautiful, beautiful relationship that has had its challenges. Um, you know, but I still see you guys as a model couple, honestly, you know, from the beautiful wedding in Paris and just um, I think, you know, you guys have been together for a long time. I love the way he supports you in everything that you do. Um, but you guys had, you know, your, your, 
your son, your new son came in um, and lived with you guys and you became an instant mom. Yep. You became an instant mom and say that again. I know what I was doing. <laughs> you became an instant mom and, and that, that challenged the relationship. And there are a lot of people that, you know, have had that experience in their, in their lives, but you were once again resilient and you stepped up to the plate. So talk to us a little bit about how that challenged you, changed you and made you better and made the relationship better in the end. Yeah, I had to sit down with him and, and just talk to him about this chapter. Um, the beauty of all of these chapters is that they were inspired by my friends and family that saw something in me that allowed them to push through difficult times. So when I was getting the passages, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I can talk about this one. <laughs> right, right. But uh, this chapter was on uh, being conscious and just being conscious of how your decisions and how you respond to things impacts others and you know a lot of people just think Adrian and I are just like so perfect like our relationship our marriage everything is just so perfect mm -hmm. we are human we get mad we have pet peeves we go through things just like everybody else but during that time about three months after our engagement um my my son moved in with us and I had no idea what the boundaries were, the expectations, where the limits were of being a stepmother and co-parenting in this new type of space. Um, mm -hmm. Where the child is with us full time and we have full custody. Right. So, you know, you're dealing with um, the co-parenting that exists between the child's parents and you're dealing with the co-parenting that happens with the parents that are in the home. Right. And, and that dynamic is extremely difficult because, you know, everybody has different ways that they want to parent and you right. know, a parent that's in the home. So of course I'm like, well, he's in my home, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> also have to realize that you know he has parents like i'm not his biological parent so it was really difficult for me because i felt like i didn't know who i was i didn't know where i fit in um in a family that was already established before me um i didn't know what my expectation was going to be as a wife because i had never been a wife i'd never been married before my husband had been married before but i hadn't been married um, and I was feeling really lost because we have both decided that our um, attention, our effort, and our focus needed to be on his son really adjusting to his new home and trying to make the situation less traumatic than it already was. So when you take your focus off of your relationship, it diminishes. Anytime you take your focus off anything in your life is going to diminish. And, That's right. And it took a while for us to figure out, well, it took a while for him to figure <laughs> out. And 
I was unhappy. You know, he just kept saying like, oh, everything's going to be all right. Because he's such a man of great faith. He's like, right. oh, it'll just be all right. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not all right. I'm not all right. Like, you got <laughs> <laughs> it's drama. I don't want it. Right. You know? Throw it out. <laughs> And I realized that, you know, in that time, I wanted everybody else to change, right? Like I wanted his ex to change. I wanted his son to change. I wanted him to change. I wanted the situation to change. But it wasn't until I, again, took a step back and looked at things from a different perspective and said, what am I contributing to the situation? What type of energy am I bringing to the situation? And then I started to look at things from his perspective. And I was like, wow, like he's really going through it right now. He's trying to manage his past, his relationship with the mother of his child. He's trying to manage the present, you know, trying to make sure that his son is safe, well taken care of and is good. And somehow trying to hold on to the future, which is me in our life together, in our new life with, you know, raising his son. And I was like, and I'm over here screaming, me, 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 me. I want this attention. I want this wedding. I want this. I want that. I want this. And I had to start being a lot more conscious of everything that was happening from a, a bigger perspective, not just the, the mundane little things that are every day but i had to start looking at the bigger picture of the health of the family unit and when i started looking at things from a greater perspective and how can we make this family unit healthy and not just worrying about my piece of that mm -hmm. things began to change because i'm not i'm not just praying for me and my husband now i'm praying for me my husband his son his ex i'm praying for her the guy she dating i'm praying for everybody now you i know, know that's right i'm praying for the whole thing to be healed right so wow i made it <laughs> we made it you know um but you know relationships and marriage are not easy sometimes they take a little bit of work and um you know we, we're still working but we're happy we're thriving and i'm i'm happy i held on i'm happy i held on you know i what i can appreciate honestly is about this this aspect of your life you know the title of the chapter is i am conscious and you really were you took yourself out of yourself and put yourself into his shoes and you made a conscious decision to support him through this process so i mean like you said earlier you know when you take your even when you if you think about it even from a, a scientific perspective if you take your eyes off of something it's not there anymore so if you're watching TV and you turn your head, the TV is not there anymore. So if you take your eyes off of, you know, like if he had to tend to this a little bit more, then he took his eyes off of you. And I'm sure you probably felt like a little bit left out, 
a little bit lonely. You know what I mean? And he had to understand that he needed to have his eyes in multiple places. But you were conscientious enough to be able to recognize that, you know what, that may be a little bit hard for him. So I'm just going to support him, you know, and you you stepped up. You, know, you stepped again, up. We go back to who do you want to be? Right? Yes. I had to ask myself, like, what type of woman do I would I be if I left this man? Yes. In this time. You know, giving full custody of his child, you know, after, at that point, we had been together about four years. Mm -hmm. We never had an argument, like, we might have had, like, debates or, you know, little things, but we never had a knockdown drag out. So can you imagine for four years straight? you're developing a relationship with somebody, you're in a relationship with them, you grow on a friendship, you're working with them, you're collaborating with them, y'all this power couple, and then it's like everything just stops. You know, I was really devastated. So it took time, but I had to ask myself, what, what type of woman would I be to leave after that? Like, right. Because it's not perfect, perfect to the T. Right. That's not displaying resilience. That's not displaying brilliant resilience. That's not even displaying like loyalty at that point. You know. Right. But there, but I think, well, there is a balance. Like, because I don't want people to take that and run with it and feel like y'all, you know, everybody got to hold it down for every situation. It's certain situations that you really have to look at and say, you know. You have to. Am I am I happy? And is is this toxic? There's a difference between I'm not happy right now, and this is a toxic situation. Right. You know. You know um, and I hope I don't get this wrong. Is is Ruth and Boaz? Or is that the couple in the Bible? Is it Ruth and Boaz? That's I hope I'm. I don't I don't know if I'm saying it right, but anyway, whoever this, the, there's the story, you know, like a lot of people say everybody is searching for their Boaz, and I, I hope I'm saying the right thing. I may not. Y'all Christians, y'all got to correct me. It may be Ruth. It may not be Ruth, but whoever Boaz's wife was, one of the things that I can say about her is that she was loyal as hell. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm probably like, I shouldn't even say that in the same sentence because I'm talking about biblical stuff, but she was loyal. Yeah. And I mean, and you know, this woman could have left her mother-in-law and went back to her people because her mother-in-law told her because she had married some, you know, into this family and the, the son died. And the mother told them to go back to their family. One of the women went back to the family, but this particular one followed her mother-in-law back to her land. And Boaz was running the land and, you know, he was all of that. And she told her how to go to him. She told her what to do, right? And she followed it to the letter. And she, he ended up marrying her and taking care of her. But oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you have to be supportive. You have to be ride or die. And that's who you chose to be. 
And when I tell you, like, our relationship is mm -hmm. 10 times better, like, you know, since we've gone through that, like, once we got married and went on our honeymoon and really had that time to be together again and kind of yeah and, and reignite the love and reignite everything it was just like wow we did it like you know we made it so like i even i'm even more proud now like you know we made it happen and we made it through so it's it's, it's even much more sweet you know yeah that's awesome so listen this is what i want to do because we're coming up to that seven o'clock hour and we have you know we have a couple of people here and what i want to do is i actually want to bring them on promote them to panelists allow them to talk because i know some people want to know you know how were you able to take this book and actually you know turn this book into a Amazon bestseller and you know just in this COVID environment you know I mean you I, did it this book is about looking for the opportunity in the midst of the chaos there's yes always, I know there is always growth and success coming with all experiences but you have to be looking for it you have to be seeking it it's there Awesome. So the ladies, if you want to unmute yourself and ask Lena a question, there are people watching us on Facebook and, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, uh, this is great. There always will be guiding lights to encourage you to keep going on your journey. It's very smart to use your nine to five to fund your business ventures. So people have been watching, you know, um, when you're not promoted, it's really their law. So people have been watching and listening to everything that we have to say, but we are proud of you. We are extremely proud of you. And I mean, you made it happen during a pandemic. She put her book out there, made it an Amazon bestseller. So I know you guys, do you want to say something to Lena? You want to have any types of questions about how she mm. did it? Anything you want to say to her, you can do so now. Yes. You know what, Lena, I'll tell you. Congratulations, girlfriend. Like Lena. Because <laughs> that, you, you know. A little bit. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, you know, congratulations. You, you are amazing. You inspired me tonight. Um, you know, because I think about all of the things that I've been through and, you know, I stop and I start, I stop and I start, but you know, you push through you know, with everything that you dealt with, you wrote the book. Cause I had been thinking about writing a book myself. Um, but I, I just, you know, think about, oh my gosh, if I write a book, how long is it going to take me to do that? Um, but you know, it's so worth it because, you know, when you tell your story, you know, people can relate to your story. It might help someone, encourage someone. So I applaud you for doing that. And the question I have for you too, Lena, is how long did it take you to write the book? So um, this actually was a program and workshop that I've done for a while now. So I kind of mm -hmm. had an outline for it. Okay. But when the pandemic hit March 13th, I was like, you know what? This is an opportunity for me 
to, you know, we're all home. We're all sitting down. No one is required to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I was still working from home about two days a week at the time. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, for 10 days straight, I turned my phone off. I would get up in the morning, go Mm -hmm. running, get my breakfast, do what I was going to do. When I would get to my desk at nine, I would turn my phone off. And from nine to like five or six, 10 days straight, I wrote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, my, my uncle started to get sick. And I also talk about, talk about it in the book. I lost my uncle in April mm, and kind of halted my mm-hmm. writing experience. Um, but what I realized is that, you know, all of the subsequent things that happened over that time, I needed them for the end of the book. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I am not going to lie, 10 days straight and then maybe about another five of those like hardcore hunker down. All I'm doing is writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I would say about two weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And it's just about eliminating distractions. You will yeah, that's amazing. You can do when you mm. eliminate distractions. Right. You can be, sometimes people get on Facebook to check a message and then they'll be on Facebook for an hour. Yeah. You know, right. but I always right. tell people, even if, if you want to start writing, pick two hours a day and say, mm. that's all I'm going to do. If it's from eight to 10 or 12 to two, or if you wake mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. say, you know, nine to 11, I'm going to write, then- you know, and do a mm-hmm. little line, you know, so that way each yeah. thing that you, you get done, you check it off and you're like, right. oh, I'm getting through this. Whoa, right. And it's done. Right. And then, of course, you have to be determined too. you know, that you want to do it and get it done. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for sharing. Thank this you. was this was great. Thank yeah. You. And yeah. then she turned around and came to us and said, oh, OK, I want. I need your help and you know and I want to do it and I want to do it by July 22nd. What date is today? (laughs) I was like, she was like, we we did it. But you know what? The writing was so conversational and Mm. it was so easy to read until you know it was it was already in really good shape yeah so um when we went to you know i did content editing when we went to our line editor she was just like oh yeah i could do this it was, this is conversational you know yeah. and um, yeah. you know one of the things um she also mentioned with was that resiliency is something that we're almost kind of born with as a mm. people Mm. And she really enjoyed reading the book too. So yeah. I have to tell you guys, if you have not picked up the book, yeah. you definitely want to go to Amazon and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, get the birthday edition, which is the pink cover, because the oh. cover is going to change or, or a salmon color, I guess you can call okay. it. <laughs> it's on sale for half off. So you definitely want to pick up your copy, you know, as soon mm-hmm. as you possibly can you know okay because, um, it's a it's a great read and it's definitely something that you what's the, what's the title again brilliant resilient 
So there you have it. What a great interview with Lena Cohen Hawkins. Thank you for tuning in to the Network for Women in Business podcast. Make sure that you subscribe and rate this podcast and we will see you on the next episode.